Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Shema Podcast. I am in the Torch studio with Rabbi Ari Wolby, Rabbi Yokoff Wolby, and Rabbi Chaim Busco. But this time, I'm not here to ask them any questions. Today, I have something much more special planned. The idea here, my friends, is that as the president of the Board of Torch, I am the ambassador, if you will, for the shareholders of Torch. Who are the shareholders, the donors? And I thought it'd be a good idea to discuss and talk a little about Sadaka. You know, we take our Sadaka very seriously. Hashem gives us this tremendous responsibility where He trusts us with money. He allows us to take an 80 to 90% trustee fee, which any other client would have us thrown in jail for taking that much. But with the remaining 10 to 20%, He trusts us to give the money, his money, out the way he prescribes in his Torah, where he provides us our investment policy statement. And we obviously take this very seriously. We want to do a good job with his money. We want to allocate it properly. You know, there's two primary asset classes we look at when it comes to tzedakah. There's providing for the needy, and there's helping to perpetuate the growth of his Torah knowledge. And that's, of course, what the fine rabbis here at Torch are involved with day in and day out. But I thought it makes sense to look at Torch through the lens of an investor. I mentioned this before that I started teaching, I had the honor of teaching four brilliant young men, an investment and finance class. And over the course of this year so far, we have covered financial statement analysis, how to break apart, crunch a balance sheet. These young men know how to do net present value, present value, and discounted cash flow. They understand how to read charts and determine the timeliness of a buy. They know how to do the qualitative aspects of research and look at the annual report and understand the business model, the industry, and break apart and find out what the potential risks are to that business. And the classroom has sort of evolved from a classroom to a business, and they've named it. YDH Investment Management, short for Yeshiva DeHaimish. And I decided to bring on my high-powered analyst and portfolio managers to ask the Torch rabbis some very important questions. So before we begin, rabbis, let me just give a few areas of disclosure. And something I want to divulge to my team here is that this process they go through is, is very disciplined. I told them you got to map out the decision-making in advance because you want to pull emotion out of it. So one of the things that happened early on was right before the very first exam is they were looking at this daunting exam with 50 tough questions on financial analysis. Yehuda was being extremely sweet, complimenting me. And do you remember what I told you? That I said kissing up does not get you any points. Matter of fact, it gets points knocked off. So one thing you should know, rabbis, is that your charming, lovable personalities are not one of the metrics they're going to be looking at today. The other thing is you should know that if they say that something you say is really sick, that means awesome. 
I did not know that at first. It's a little bit of a language barrier. But for them, if something is sick, that means it's really good. So I'll have them come up and bring on and ask these questions. One of the things I was going to mention to you is that after they get their ideas through individually, they've gone through all the quantitative metrics, they've done their qualitative research, they propose their idea to the rest of their teammates, their other colleagues, the idea enters in what we call the war room, where everyone tries to tear apart the idea. So I'm warning you that you are about to enter the YDH Investment Management War Room. And I want to stress that while they have these sweet, beautiful faces, when it comes to looking at an organization, determining whether it's worthy of investment, or in this case, Sadaka, they are like hungry lions. So be prepared. All right. And the one thing I was going to mention to my team here is that the final step at looking at technical analysis and looking at the charts and the volume and the stochastics and the relative strength, we won't need that because it's always a good time to give Sadaka. So I want to introduce my investment team, Sholi Trepp, Ozzy Solomon, Marty Freeman, and Yehuda Winkler. Okay, rabbis, are you ready? Let's go. All ready to rumble. Honestly, Dan, I feel a bit bolstered because not being charming is one of the things I'm best at. So. <laughs> okay, it's a strength for you. I disagree with that, though, but it's one of your ma- many amazing qualities. Okay, so, Sholi, you're up. Before buying a stock, we like to research the sector and industry as well to make sure the company will benefit from strong macroeconomic trends. Likewise, when we are looking for the organizations to donate to Daco, we, to- we like to consider in our decision-making the types of organizations in we are allocating to. Please explain why you think an organization in the Jewish outreach or Kiev industry is a good place to allocate tzedakah to. Thank you, guys. I love your tenacity, your excitement, and your courage. He wasn't listening about the sucking up thing. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting away with it anyway. Coming out here and asking these questions, which I think are critical for every single business. Torch, although we're a nonprofit, we're still a business and you know money comes in it's donated by our donors our partners and then distributed to our educational programming so the first thing is that why is this you said why is this a business that people should invest in because this is the best business in the world we are partners with Hashem in teaching his children Torah that's our mission we're not here to build buildings. We're not here to, to, you know, to, to fly private jets. We're here to teach Torah to Hashem's children. That's our objective. That's our goal. Now, one of the things that we have been, I believe, very, very focused on since our founding is to be innovative. Innovative means that you need to always be adjusting to modern trends. There are new things out there in the world. There are new technologies out there in the world. We need to invest in those technologies to reach the Jews, not only throughout Houston, but around the globe. So if you think that the internet was created so that people can just email one another, you're wrong. If you think so that if that Hashem created the internet so that people can text one another, you're wrong. If you think that the reason Hashem created Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and all of these things is just so that people can show off what they ate for breakfast and lunch and dinner, and the, the gown that they're wearing you know, to the, to the ball, that's not why it's there. It's there as a means to share Hashem's Torah with the world. 
And we as an organization take that responsibility very, very seriously that every technology that comes out, we need to see how can we maximize that avenue to reach more Jews. And that's why we think that this is the most incredible investment anybody can make when it comes to Jewish education. Rabbi, I think one of the things they were getting at with that first question is just the when allocating Sadaka and you have all these different great places, yeshivas, places that help feed our, our brothers and sisters that, you know, need money. Just the overall, you know, as far as Jewish outreach, can you speak to, any of you speak to what the Torah says is the, the merits of, of giving Sadaka in that overall area? I'll jump on this one. The, the sector of, of outreach, of reaching out to Hashem's children and bringing them back, the path that he laid out for us is, is undying. Again, my financial background is not very strong, but I would assume that when it comes to this kind of research and your concern for investing in a certain sector, a certain industry, it's going to fluctuate and there's going to be either an underlying strong economy or a weak economy to that overall industry, that sector. Exactly. This sector has the strongest financial backer that there could ever be. It's recession-proof. It's recession-proof. Hashem is, I'll give you an example. Haircuts, beer. Noah Weinberg, who who was a a powerhouse in this field of Jewish outreach, he gave an example. Let's say you you walk by a well and you hear kids, God forbid, drowning in a well. You have no way to get them out. You have no rope. So you figure out that the parents of these kids live in this farmhouse about a half mile away. And you, you see that farmhouse, you run out there and you knock on the door and you ask the farmer, can I have some rope? He says, why do you need the rope? So I want to save your kids. They're drowning in a well. You think he's going to give you the rope? Of course he's going to give you the rope. It's right. his kids. He wants to give you all of the resources that you need to, to succeed in your mission because it's his mission. So this is all of our mission. We're the rabbis. Our role is to teach Torah, but it's an obligation that's incumbent on the entire Jewish people. But we might have different roles. So when it comes to allocating our resources in terms of our time and our energy, we're getting paid back for that. As an investor, putting your resources into this, you think Hashem's not going to help you. You think Hashem's not going to reimburse you. He's going to give you all of the resources that you need to invest in specifically this industry, this sector of bringing his children home. If I could jump in here. I, I love the framing of approaching this question logically and, and critically and saying, well, we have this investment that the might gives us and we're supposed to allocate, disperse the funds to the best of our ability. But I think that, you know, the Almighty gives us a lot of things. Everything that we have is really from the Almighty. Our time, our ability, you know, our, our, our strengths, our intelligence, our, 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 every quality that we have, we have to choose how we allocate it, how we channel it, how we direct it. So you're talking about the financial aspect. I think, you know, the, the rabbis here at Torch have made a decision that we want to invest our lives in spreading the Almighty's Torah to his children, like Rabbi Wolby said. And evidently, we believe very strongly this is the best way to, you know, this is the best use of our time and, and our resources. And I think that if we could kind of take this level up, you would say that the, the way to answer the question of how we're supposed to allocate our resources, it's what does the Almighty want us to do? And what choices could we make will, that will best position us to get Olam Abba, to receive Olam Abba? That's what we're here for. We're here in this world to get to Olam Abba. That's what our sages tell us, and it's not contested by anyone. And, and the way we do that is by mitzvahs, and by studying Torah, and by bringing in the rest of our Jewish brethren 
on board. I will tell you that the sages tell us that if you are super righteous, completely righteous, you do every mitzvah of money, it's right of you, you're not invited to Olam Should I say that again? Is that a typo? That's not a typo. Not a, I didn't misspeak. If you do every mitzvah possible and you do everything properly and everything's with devotion and concentration and everything, you, you're not admitted to Olam Wait a minute. I did all the mitzvahs properly. You hear this? You hear this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why? Because if you just take care of yourself, you're not going to get there. You're not going to okay. get there. What you need to do is take yourself and your family and your kids and your neighbor and the whole community and the whole city and the whole country and the whole world with you. You just work for yourself. That's it. You're not invited. Okay. So what I'm telling you is if you want to get home above, you got to make sure that you are investing not just in your spiritual advancement, but in other people as well. Okay. So if you invest in Torch, and I assure you we are working tirelessly with great commu- uh, commitment to advance the cause of the Imani in the world and to bring the Imani's children back to him and to disseminate Torah in the world, where are your ticket? Very nice. Great answer, rabbis. We appreciate all of you responding to that. Our next analyst that I'll be bringing up is Ozzy Solomon. A lot of our qualitative due diligence on management comes from Warren Buffett. Like Warren Buffett, we place a high importance on management transparency. Every company's management makes mistakes, but those that disclose their business errors learn from their mistakes and make changes as a result are worthy of shareholders' trust. Please describe a past bad decision, what you learned from it, and what you changed in the organization as a result. I love this question. All right. You want some transparency? Yes. I'll give you some transparency. I think that the entire industry that we're part of, that we're fortunately part of, this is an area where they have a hard time with. Meaning that I'm a belief, I'm a believer that our industry has been way too late to, like Rabbi Wolby said, adapt to the new world. We've been stuck in the 70s and 80s in how to do Jewish outreach. If we're serious, we're, we're being serious here, right? Absolutely. Not, can I dispense with the platitudes and the cliches? Yeah, please. Okay, if we're serious here and we have this real critical mission to spread the Almighty's Torah to the world, we're failing miserably. The whole industry is a failure. Why? Because look what's happened to the Jewish people. How many Jews are so connected to their heritage, to Torah, to the Jewish community, members in shul, supporting Israel? Whatever metric you want to define to someone being identified as a Jew and living in that way— the numbers are embarrassing almost. So we're a total failure. The whole industry is a failure. And I do think that you know we've identified some ways that we can have a large influence on many, many uh, legions of our brethren. But the, the mistake, I think the mistake starts is that it took us too long to get there. And I still think we're capable of a lot more than, than, than what we're doing. So yes, I, I think that we haven't been as quick to adapt to the new opportunities, and there's still a lot of room for improvement. That said, we're still the best investment in the Western Hemisphere. Great. Rabbi Ari? Thank you, Rabbi Yaakov. I believe that we have always been self-critical as an organization, looking at what we can do and making sure that we are maximizing in every area. There are many programs that we did an analysis of, and we said, there's just it just doesn't make any sense, and we close those programs down. I'll give you a few examples. I'll give you one example that I, that stands out very clearly. Okay, we had a program that was called Kosher Month. Kosher Month was a great program. We stole the idea from Dallas, from our brothers in Dallas. Now today it's known as Torch Dallas, but they had a program where they would introduce people to kosher and they would give them a tour of the supermarket and introduce them to all the kosher restaurants by giving them discounts, et cetera, et cetera. We ran it for several years, 
And then we had a partnership with the local Kashrus agency, the HKA. And after doing our self-critical analysis, we realized that we are wasting too many resources to run this program. So we called up, instead of us saying, no, we're going to do it because it's our program, we called up the HKA and we said, how would you guys like to own this kosher month? Instead of us running it and us spending countless hours running after the vendors, running after the caterers, running after the supermarkets, they do that all day. That's what they do. We said, you guys run the program. We will provide the education because we're an educational resource. And as such, what we did was we took a program that was really sapping our resources, gave it to them, that's their wheelhouse, and then we provided the education. So I think that was one very specific idea that we realized it's just not beneficial for us to be running that. It's taking too much of our resources. Share it with another organization, let them run it. We've had many such instances over the years where we realized, you know what? It's great that we're involved with this, but that's not our mission. We're here to do education. We're here to teach Torah. And the other programs, while they're fantastic, all of the social aspects of it, all of the programmable elements of it, let them handle, we'll come in, teach the class, and go home. That's great. Do you have anything to add to that? Sure. I can give a, a personal example. I was hired to this organization to, to service the young professional community of Houston, local community. And recently, within the last a little over a year, officially started a new project, a branch of Torch called Torchwood, which is a community that's designed to make the young professionals of Houston feel comfortable, have a place where they can move in and live together and raise their children together, start their families, et cetera. So as part of that, we have a lot of social events in addition to our programming that's education-based. And there was a long time where I was stressing out about the numbers, getting people to come to events. And the truth is that nowadays, today in Houston, there is a lot of competition when it comes to Jewish events for young professionals. Thank God there's, there's so many people out there trying to get things together. A lot of different organizations out there. So it's brutal to to compete for people. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point is, you know what? I'm not competing. I'm not going to waste my time worrying about how many people are registering on Facebook and how many people I'm going to focus purely on quality and developing relationships with people. And since I've made that formal decision to stop worrying about all the superficial stuff on Facebook and social media and trying to recruit that way and just focus on developing real relationships with people that they then experience as real and then share it with other people. And then they say, Hey, you should come check this out. There's something really cool happening here. We've experienced a tremendous amount of growth. Great. Fantastic response. I'm just thankful that none of you said that the one poor bad business decision was agreeing to do this episode or (laughs) petitioning me to be the president of the board of Torch. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. You're up next. You being the president of the board is probably one of our best decisions. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much, Stan. (laughs) Again, I'm not blowing steam up your (laughs) talit. Kissing up will get points on my investment. But thank you. All right, Muddy, you're up. Also, like Warren Buffett, we look for companies that make innovative strategic decisions rather than copycatting another company's tactics. Please describe how Torch is innovative in its approach to Jewish outreach. Last year, over one million people listened to Torch podcasts. Tell me one organization that can match that. One million people. And that's not video. That's not people coming to classes. Just audio podcasts. That's innovative. And we're a little outfit here in Houston, reaching 
Jews across the globe. I can't even tell you how proud I am of my dear brother, Rabbi Yaakov, who's right here, who really pushed us into this avenue years ago, and we were very skeptical. I don't know, maybe that. And it turned out to be right. I can't, I was just in Israel a few weeks ago. How many people stop me in the street and say, hey, how are you? I'm like, do I know you? I'm sorry. I don't remember who you are. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't know me, but I know you. I listen to every one of your podcasts. I listen to every one of your brother's podcasts. Point is that people are learning and learning and learning. Two guys came over to me in yeshiva and said they're in yeshiva because of the podcasts. So it's not wow. just people listening to Torah. People are changing their lives. They're having a transformation for who they are, and that's innovation. Not only the average rabbi videos, which are exceptionally brilliant, to reach people in a way that's not typical. And I think that we excel at that. Wonderful. Rabbi Busco, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, I do. This industry is half built, let's say half built on providing educational material and half on real personal relationships. So when it comes to innovation, there's nothing to innovate more than just being authentic. Every human being is totally unique. So the parallel of copycatting another company's tactics would be to be superficial and to try to put on some facade of what do I think people would want to hear from me, et cetera. What the most innovative thing a rabbi can do is genuinely have Torah in his being and love the people that he's sharing it with. And that will be unique. It will be a chidush. It will be something novel because it's unique to that person. And it's going to be a new experience that no one has ever had before because it's coming from an authentic individual. I mean, you mentioned Torchwood. Do any Jewish outreach organizations put together communities for the unaffiliated Jew to come live and experience a Jewish life? I don't know of any organization that's done specifically what we're doing now. The classic model of developing a new community uh, would either be you have a group of religious Jews already who want to establish a community in, in a new area, or you'll have... Uh, an outreach rabbi, determine where is the highest concentration of Jews in a city, move there, and then try to get people involved with the synagogue. We did the completely opposite approach where we found a new area that's, it's not undeveloped in the sense that there aren't houses there. We found there's infrastructure, everything's present, but it's not a Jewish area yet. And we're carving out this area to come live here because Houston is so scattered. There's Jews everywhere. There is no one concentrated place where all these Jews are living. We want to create a community from scratch. I'm not aware of any other community that's doing that, uh, any other organization. And in the le- since a year ago, we've had four entities now move into the, into the neighborhood, which is m- much more than I was expecting. And we're going to have someone coming from Yeshiva pretty soon, please God, who's going to join our community as well. So Wonderful. The idea began with... How do we get someone who is interested in a from lifestyle, in a Shomer Shabbos lifestyle, how do we incorporate them into a community? How do they? It's very stifling, very frightening, actually, for people when they move out from, let's say, a place like Kingwood and move into a from a fully from neighborhood. It's a foreign culture. Right. And, and, and they're like, how do I dress? How do I walk? How do I talk? How do, what do I do? You know. Can I walk my dog, not walk my dog? All of these things, all of these unknowns are barriers of entry where people feel inhibited to coming into a firm community because of that. 
by creating a place like Torchwood, which is outside of the community, so to speak, it's becoming its own community of growing people so that people can take their own step, not feel pushed, not feel like they have to live up to a certain standard. They have the most incredible rabbi and rabbitson in Rabbi Busco and his rabbitson, rabbitson Seitel, that they are creating an environment that people can feel comfortable the way they are and take the steps of growth that's appropriate for them. Beautiful. Rabbi Yokov will be. Anything uh, to add? Yeah. I don't think there's another organization of our kind in the entire world. And what I mean by that is that you have kind of local or regional shops that tailor to their local populace. And then you have, you know, a few 800-pound gorillas. Is that still a term that they use in finance? Yeah. 800-pound gorillas, you know, that, that try to kind of work to try to advance the cause of all of our people and all of our nation. You don't have a small shop in Houston, Texas, which really could be like a little node in a much bigger network, right? It could, it could it, you know, it, typically you would expect a small organization in a city in the middle of Texas to not have a global impact. But I think if you put us up against the biggest players in the whole industry, I think we could, uh, we could match them uh, pound for pound with our small, small little team here, small team without a lot of uh, firepower behind us or maybe name recognition. We kind of came out of nowhere. And I think, I don't want to mention any names, but I think our impact can rival any other organization. And some of those organizations have hundreds of employees. What do we have? You know, a couple of employees, fewer than 10 employees, all told. I think that's innovation. And that is also the product, I think, of a strategic change that, that we did when we saw the opportunity. You know, I, I think Torchwood is still a model that does exist in other places, even though it is still innovative. Uh, but uh, what we're doing with our online offerings, and that's really where I believe the, not just the future, but the present of Jewish outreach is there. You have to reach people with where they are, and they're online, and we're there, and we have a very large presence there, and one that really doesn't seem to be commensurate, so to speak, with with our team, with our personnel. Great. Small but nimble. Beautiful. Thank you, rabbis. All right, now we're going to get into the, the more quantitative parts of our analysis. Yehuda? One of the financial metrics we look for came from William O'Neill. We like to invest in businesses with accelerated sales and earning growth. As a Jewish outreach organization, we equate the positive impact you are having on the Jewish people as your earnings. Please provide the quantitative metrics of the numbers of Jews you are connecting with for the last five years with the year-over-year growth to demonstrate your accelerated growth. Before Wilby answers this question, I want to correct the question. Okay. It was phrased as, as your earnings. I want to correct it to, as our earnings. Sure. Fine. No problem. I want to just give you an example from my personal metrics from last year. In 2022, from January to December, the number of downloads quadrupled. 400%? 400% growth. Okay. And that is a million percent growth from the year before. So I think that that in itself is an indicator, but the number of people participating in various forms. So I'll give you one quick example. I have four classes that I give right here from this desk. And there are 
four different audiences that are joining. There are people sitting in these seats. There are people right in front of me on Zoom. There are people listening on the podcast that gets released. And then we have this camera that shares it with Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're trying to do is maximize, if we're giving a class, share it with the world. And even if each place just gets 20, 30, 40, 50 people watching it, do the math. So you have a single class that has 10 or 15 people in the room, sometimes three people in the room. That's fine. You have 10 or 15 people online. You have 20, 30 on each of the platforms. And then you have several hundred listening on the podcast for each class. That's an unbelievable amount of people benefiting from Torah, from Houston. Amazing. Rabbi Yokoff, do you have any numbers? Because hearing things like 400%, that's what gets my uh, portfolio management team's mouth salivating. Uh, do I have numbers? Well, they're very robust. They're very robust. I don't want to, I don't think we have talked the actual numbers. Just growth. But percentage. Percentage growth rate. Listen. Over the years. What would you estimate it to be at? Audio doesn't go viral, at least doesn't go for me. But in, in the year 2022, I did look at this. I compared, let's say, the 2021 numbers versus the 2022 numbers. And then every month, the the listenership went up from the preceding month, you know, year over year. And it's I would say it's up around, I didn't look at these at numbers, but somewhere around 30% more. But in 2022, it was uh, over 700,000 downloads Wow! in one year. I did the math. It was um, about 21 plus 100 downloads a day. So if you filled, a, if you filled a, an auditorium every day of people studying Torah for an hour, every single day, including uh, the weekends, Amazing. every single day, uh, it's pretty impressive. You know, that's the largest yeshiva in the world, maybe one of the largest yeshivas in the, in the world. And that's just happening over here. It's just one of the little projects that we have going on over here. And it's still growing to what, I think around 30, 30% or so uh, year over year. And, and that's all organic growth. So it's uh, pretty staggering. And, uh, and the impact is, it's just exponential. You know, if you think about, you, if you deal in, in a uh, brick and mortar environment, how many people could one person speak to, you know, if it's only one, one-on-one? So when I'm one-on-one, you know, you, there's only 24 hours in the day. You speak, to one, you speak to one person for an hour, it takes up an hour of your time. If you speak on the podcast, you can have one hour of your time be translated to a million people experiencing it and having a relationship with you and with what you're sharing with them. So to me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. And like I said, the numbers are very, uh, very robust, very staggering. And whoever is a partner and supporting Torch is a partner in that. And whoever is not a partner in supporting Torch is not a partner in that. I'll make that very clear. <laughs> I, I, I say this every year to kind of make it clear to everyone. Okay. If someone supports us financially, they have a share in everything that we do. If someone does not, they don't have anything. And I'm sorry, I'm not giving anything to anyone who doesn't support. That's my rules. Sorry, sorry. You want to have a, a slice of the action? You want a piece of the pie? You got to invest. Like you don't make you those rules. The Almighty makes those rules. It's where people allocate. Okay, but I want to make sure if I have any say in it, that, 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 that's, okay. uh, I, that's my, what I'm stipulating. Okay. I, I just want to put it into, into perspective. Imagine if you took our million hours that are downloaded just from our podcast every year and you put it into full-time learners. So you take a guy who's learning 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That would equal to 8,760 hours 
a year. That's it. We have eight thousand seven hundred and sixty a year. Right. You can have a hundred and twelve people learning twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year, and still not reach the amount of downloads we had this year. And if you put that into traditional hours of people learning forty hours a week, it would be over over four hundred people learning all day. That's a massive amount of people learning Torah. But the benefit here is that it's across the globe. They don't have to be sitting in a classroom in Houston. They can be anywhere traveling. They could be, and I've, we all get feedback from people. Oh, I was vacationing. I was listening while I was walking on the uh, pier in Italy, wherever it was, right? They're listening to a podcast. So Torah is traveling with people across the globe. Wonderful. I'm going to bring up our next analyst, Sholi. And Rabbi Busco, I'd love you to be able to answer this question, as well as the rest of the rabbis, but I think this is something that I'd like to hear you speak to. Go ahead, Sholi. While growing the numbers of Jews you connect with is important, it is probably more important that you are having a meaningful impact on these, those Jews. Please demonstrate that this is being accomplished. This is a, a hard question to answer, because something that's qualitative obviously can't be quantified. Correct. In addition to that, I don't have an impact on anyone, and neither does any outreach rabbi. Hashem lights people's souls on fire and brings them home, and he wants us to take the responsibility for reaching out to others and guiding them to that. But we can't take any credit for changes people make in their life. That is credited to their free will and the merits of their ancestors, but I can't take any credit for serious life changes that have occurred. Um, I disagree with that, though, as a client of Torch. Well, because if, they, if, if these rabbis, including you, when you came on, were consciously being there to teach Torah, that's what had the impact on me and continued to push me along the way and grow. So I would say that you definitely do have an impact on Jews. The, the love speaks for itself. I think that when, when you love people and, uh, and you invest in your fellow Jews, it does uh, inspire, maybe. But I, the only thing, I, I don't want to take credit away from their life changes and say that I did anything. That's, that's all I want to say. Fair enough. But Baruch Hashem, thank God, we've, we've, seen, we've seen incredible transformations with people that, that um, have been involved with our organization, uh, and specifically getting involved with the Jewish community, people that had never believed in God before, and are now devoted to living a life of holiness. People that have gone overseas to study and changed their lives in, in very fundamental ways. It's continuously happening, and it's happening more and more. And I'm, very just, I'm just grateful to be in a position where I'm involved in that. And so I'm just I'm very happy. Great. Thank you. Rabbi Ari. I think there are three things that we try to do with all of our students. Number one, is emuna. We want them to be believers in Hashem. We want to impart to them the wisdom of the Torah, of course, but number one, know that there is a Hashem. I'll just quickly, a quick story. At one of my Talmud classes, right here at this table, there was an individual, we were talking about a certain concept, and he's fighting and arguing with me. So I realized something might be wrong in his belief in Hashem. So I said, let's take a step back. I said, do you believe in Hashem? He says, no. So I said, okay, so let's begin. Let's start. And one of the individuals at the class turned to him and said, if you don't believe in God, what are you doing here? 
I said, no, 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 no. This is exactly where you belong. Right. This is where we discover God. This is our conversation. This is all, what it's all about. Step number two is mitzvos, introducing people to mitzvos. But how do we do that? We study Torah, learn Torah. Number one, emuna. Number two, Torah. And number three, take mitzvos that become part of your life. That will transform who you are. We don't push people. We don't have a number that we have to reach in how many people start keeping Shabbos or how many people start keeping kosher. What we do want is people becoming believers, number one. Number two, learn Torah. And number three, make changes by observing mitzvahs. Yeah, if I could echo uh, what my colleague said, I agree with Robert Busco that ultimately people have to make their own choices. And uh, if someone does make a change in their life, it's really their credit. Maybe we were facilitating it or we helped, we enabled in some way. We were a resource, you know, the R and Torch, I think still stands for resources, right? Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. I guess H still stands for Houston, not the hemisphere like I wanted uh, to rename it. But we're there to be a resource. Right. And w- what resource are we supposed to provide? So I-, I think the primary resource that I think I'm trying to provide is the idea, the critical idea the critical transformation, and that is that, wow, it's actually real. It's not just a bunch of fairy tales that they put together with some redactor some thousands of years ago. It's real, and it's powerful, and it's interesting, and it's stimulating, and it's intriguing, there's depth to it, and there's, there's, there's layers and dimensions and, and mysteries behind it. That change, where you look at Torah in a very different light, that's what I'm trying to get. And once someone has that, then they're ready there's going to be something that's going to be spurring them to try to do more, to discover more, to advance more in their own journey. So I'm with Robusto that ultimately the changes people make on their own are, are their own and we're there to serve as a resource. And the specific resource that I try to target is the change in perception of what Torah is and the relevance that it should have in your life, not just as something we have for tradition, which is also important, but not just for tradition's sake, but also because this is actually the Almighty gave it to us. And it's just incredibly deep and multifaceted and, and, and wonderful and inspirational and intriguing and exciting and, and deep and profound and worthy of inquiry. Okay, fair enough. Excellent, Rabbis. Thank you so much. Next question is by my esteemed colleague, Ozzy Solomon. Every management team has a plan, but the greatest management teams are the ones that know how to pivot their business plan quickly and strategically when there is a change in economic ad- conditions. That requires adaption. Has Torch ever found itself in such a situation? And if so, how did it respond? With the outbreak of COVID-19 and the pandemic, Torch was the only organization that I'm aware of that didn't need to change a thing because we were already online. All the other organizations, oh, we have to buy a Zoom account. We, you know, we don't know how to use Zoom. We were already using Zoom for years. We were already sharing the Torah through the online platforms. So what we did is we made it more robust. We created the Torch Minute. We created many other programs on Instagram. We did the Chauffeur Daily the daily chauffeur blast to give people the inspiration. Even though they're home, they were able to hear a chauffeur and a little thought preparing us for the high holidays. We're able to very easily modify what we were doing to an online-only audience. Additionally, is we took this room and transformed it into a studio. So while people weren't coming anymore to classrooms because of COVID, they didn't want to get infected or, God forbid, uh, injured or ill, 
we were able to have a full studio, video recording studio, that classes were going from right here in this room every day with no interruption whatsoever. And it does look like you transformed the space back because you had some demand post-COVID for the classes to resume in person. And in light of what you said earlier of seeing some of our challenges and identifying them, we do find a little bit of a challenge getting the people back physically into the classrooms. It's, it's growing slowly, but not as fast as we would like. And that's one of the things that we're trying to address this year is getting more physical bodies into the room. I'm not experiencing that challenge at all. I think we're, we're experiencing a lot of growth at Torch. So, yeah, I have, I have seen that the people showing up to events at Torchwood has been, is consistently increasing. Now, the demographic difference is that Rabbi Busco at Torchwood is dealing with younger audience. I'm dealing with a little bit with a more mature audience. Right. So they're a little bit more concerned for their health and, you know, infection. Sure. Okay, wonderful. Next question is from Muddy Friedman. We like to invest in businesses that are scalable, which means that they can continue to grow their output without growing their operating expenses. Please demonstrate whether Torch is scalable is a scalable business operation. Who can speak to that? This is like the easiest layup of all. You said this was like a this is a war room. This is like a a game of war that they play with the cards. Look, just because you may have a good answer here doesn't mean it's a good question. Go ahead. Listen, this is what we do. If you look at our personnel, we haven't grown really. I don't. It's, it's been a small team as long as I've been here. But the output has just grown, grown every single year. The impact has grown, has grown every single year. And that's because we have this philosophy of leveraging all the tools that are available to us and finding a way to project our impact in ways that belie our number. And, and this, is the, this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the system that we have is that our, our impact can grow and does grow despite uh, keeping the team lean and, uh, and nimble, as Rabbi Wolby likes to say. And I do think maybe there's room for uh, some more people in our team, potentially. This is more support. The, the potential, I mean, it's already infinitely scalable when the product is digital. But yes. what we can produce in terms of our output is unimaginable if we would have more resources. Uh, scalable, we just opened up Torch Dallas, a whole new operation with two new rabbis who joined our team. They're going to be using the similar platforms that we're using with podcasts and videos to share their Torah with the world as well. And now their classes are going to be available to our students. Our programs are going to be available to their students. And poof, like that, we, we grew by uh, 40%. Amazing. Wonderful. Next question is by Yehuda. You have mentioned that your core source of growth in reaching Jews has been through podcasts. This creates a vulnerability for Torch as the barriers to entry to competition doing Jewish outreach via podcasts is almost non-existent as for a few hundred dollars, anyone could launch a podcast. So how will Torch stay competitive in this space? I don't like this question. I'm sorry, Yehuda. What competition? We're competing with other organizations. There in is no competition in Torah. That said, well, how are you going to stay competitive? What competitive? It's the, if someone else teaches Torah, it doesn't detract from us. On the contrary, we encourage people to do the same. But I have we found. train them to do the same. So yeah, we don't like to. If if someone else is teaching Torah down the block, they're not my competition. They're my partner. They're my teammates, and I would support them just like I would support Torch. Let's so rephrase not, the question: though. How, uh, okay, how, how do we question. make sure that Torch won't become obsolete? 
Yeah, because that's a fair the, question. And someone only has so much bandwidth; they can only listen to so many. What's going to make people want to continue to listen to Torch I, versus I, something I else? I have found this is maybe controversial, but it's towards the end of the podcast. Most people are not listening anymore. I'm I'm assuming. <laughs> if you if you are, please prove Rabbi Yaakov wrong. Yeah, no. Email us. Like, it's fine. <laughs> You guys are looking at me. This is a joke I make in my pockets all the time. So it's an old joke. The old my listeners know this joke that I make. I say, I was listening anyhow. I can say what I want. <laughs> I used to think that this was just so easy to do. You a couple hundred dollars and some and suddenly someone is the next Joe Rogan, right? So why is Joe why why did Spotify give Joe Rogan two hundred million dollars? It's it, there's no moat. There's no moat. How how it's it's so easy for someone to get to this point. The answer is is that it's not just about the equipment. Okay, I think you you need to have a, a package of uh, skills that we've been working on here for a long time, and just adding a microphone and some sort of uh, uh, editing uh, tools or some sort of pod. It's not that, that that's not what we do. If you th- if that's what you think we, we do, then you have it wrong. We work very 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 hard to create unique Torah gems that are incredibly interesting and profound and life-changing for people who listen to it. And that's, and that's part of what we, we offer here. It's not just the, the medium, which is open for everyone. But we work insanely hard and we produce wonderful Torah, I, I hope, that people enjoy and that people have, if history is of any proof, right? people are moved by it. So I'm not so worried about the fact that other people can do the same thing with a small amount of paraphernalia. If someone invests... The amount of effort that we invest in and does whatever we do, they'll be successful. And we wish them, wish them best of luck. But the idea that it's just so easy and anyone could just do it, that uh, we can test vigorously. Fair enough. Anyone else like to respond to that? I second Rabbi Yaakov. Okay, fantastic. Motion passes. All right, Shali, you're up. A lot of investors overlook the intangible assets asset on the balance sheet of Goodwill. We think this is a very important asset as a company's brand leads on... on to ongoing customer loyalty. Please speak to to the Torch brand and its impact on your organization continued growth. Something the Torch has a reputation for, at least uh, within our sub-project of Torchwood, Yes, uh, and I know this is absolutely true of Rabbi's Wolby as well, is that we don't charge for, for anything practically. People know that we're of service to the community, and we do need support. We're a nonprofit. But it never. But no content, no service, no help, no education ever comes with a price tag. We are here to service the community, and people have seen that over these people. Like people call Rabbi Wolby for because they need help tying their shoes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Torch has a reputation for just being there for anyone that needs us at any time, and uh, it's it's not a shtick, it's not a gimmick, it's because we are devoted to servicing the Jewish people. That's why we're in this field, and that's what we've devoted our lives to. Rabbi Yaakov pointed out that we're the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston, and that resource requires us to be available for not only educational resources, but really every Jewish resource as being there as a brother, as a sister, as a helping hand. But additionally, I do, I do want to mention that there is a zero barrier of entry to Torch. Zero. You can come here, you have snacks, you have coffee, you have Whatever you want, whatever is available, it's all free. Every class you go on our website, it's $0 to register. You want to give a donation, it's welcome. Hope we'll thank you for it because that's the way we operate. 
That's the way we can continue to offer what it is that we do. But there is a zero barrier of entry. You come in and learn for 10 years and don't give a dime. We will love you the same as we love anyone else. And enjoy the coffee. Enjoy the snacks. We have healthy nutritional snacks and crackers and whatever it is that people want. People tell me they want potato chips. We've got potato chips. They want pretzels. We have pretzels. They want cookies and chocolate, whatever it is. We want people to feel that this is their Jewish home. Additionally, is that this is the only community resource that is available to every organization in the city free of charge. So when the HFLA had a dinner, they needed a place, the Houston Free Loan Association, they did their dinner here. When the NCJW, the National Council for Jewish Women, needed a place for a book club with 95 women, they do it here every month. When the NCSY, the National Council for Synagogue Youth, needs a place, they use this place. And it's all free of charge. Why? Because it's not only a resource, come learn Torah, and that's it. It's for every Jewish cause. Come, this is your home. And if I could chime in here, please. It's hard for us to gauge brand loyalty, but think about it this way. The amount of organizations that are like ours that exist in the world, I don't know if you could count them on a single hand. It's vanishingly rare to have an independent, a local kind of Jewish outreach organization. And the reason why is because they don't last. Why don't they last? Is it really hard to perpetuate? The fact that we're still around, please God, going strong on 25 years, it does show that whatever it is, there's something about what we do and what we share and, 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 and what we give to our constituency that makes them come, come back. And, and we're still strong. I think we're the strongest we've ever been now, well, 25 years into this uh, experiment that we call Torch. So that's, I think, a good endorsement of loyalty, the brand loyalty, the goodwill that uh, we have in the eyes of our constituency. Excellent. Last week, my mother was in my house uh, watching my kids and my wife was running the marathon. And while she was there, somebody walked into my front door and just walked without saying anything to anyone. I wasn't even in, around. I was in my garage. He walked over to the kitchen, opened the fridge, and poured himself a glass of milk. And my mother was like, "What's going? Who is this guy?" <laughs> and she, and but then she said later, she said, "This is it's amazing. People really see this as a community that's just available to people." And uh, and we're, it makes my heart shine when I when I heard that. Wow, amazing. All right, with one final question, and my colleague Ozzy Solomon will be asking that. We like to buy stocks prior to a new product or a service launch if we believe that it will lead to further market share gain and earnings growth. Please describe any new Torch initiatives that you plan to launch in the upcoming year that will lead to further advancements in your Jewish outreach efforts. We don't have any released plans to the public, but we have some very, very aggressive avenues of growth. We're talking about hopefully purchasing a piece of property where we can have a building uh, which would be, again, a growing service to the community, not only for Torch, but it'll be someplace which will hopefully be more, more permanent and serve the needs of the organization. Since moving into the Torch Center, a lot of our focus has changed from what we initially built out the Torch Center for, and we could use a recording studio for our podcast. We can re- use a recording studio for our videos and so on and so forth. Right now, we have four people working out of an office that's about eight feet by eight feet. And thank God, maximizing the space that we have here. But I think we can be much more productive 
if everyone is has a desk that's not like you lean back, you're in your next in the next guy's monitor. There's not only that. I'm, from a programmatic standpoint, I think there are a lot of initiatives that we want to undertake. I just spoke to a friend of mine who was visiting in town from New Jersey. He runs a very big outreach organization, and he put something into perspective to me that really helped me. He said that they are still recovering from COVID. He says, basically, we're starting a new organization. We have to start from scratch. We have to initiate programs, invite people as if it's a new organization. So I think that COVID has been like a hard reset for many people. And I think that that's going to be part of our approach going forward, continuing, of course, with all of our amazing offerings, but hopefully really having a robust offering of new programs so that people can engage in person. Great. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the Torch website now, there's, I think, 14 different shows that we have going for us. I think if you looked at it last year, it was what, seven, ten? Yeah, so like it doubled in a year. Uh, we're constantly working on new initiatives. One of the things that my brother did not mention, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this publicly, but please God, we hope, provided that we have the manpower and the ability and the financial wherewithal to do it, we hope to open up a Torch Yeshiva, wow. which is going to be a very big step uh, for uh, Jewish uh, outreach in the country, I think, uh, because it's going to be a very different kind of yeshiva. I'm going to talk about it right now, and we have to lay it out. But it's going to be the first of its kind in the world because all yeshivas are focused on young people in their 20s, in their 30s, latest. This is going to make it possible for anybody in 40 and over to come join a yeshiva experience for a limited amount of time so that they can really not miss out on something which is so integral. Yeah, but that's people. not the only innovation. It's not just the age that we allow senior citizens to come join us. It's uh, We have a new picture I'm, of I'm, what I'm a over 40. I don't consider myself <laughs> a senior <laughs> yeah, citizen. Of what, what a yeshiva. It's, it's a new vision of what a yeshiva can be. And I, I think it could have a tremendous impact. Again, this is still in the planning and the nascent embryonic stages. Okay. So, But uh, you talk about some dreams that we have. If we have the right now, I think we're at capacity of what we could do uh, with the people that we have. Please, God, if we have the ability to do so, we're going to grow our footprint and uh, grow our impact. Impact's going to grow regardless, but uh, please, God. But uh, we do have some dreams uh, in the event that we have the ability to do so to, uh, to pull off some, uh, some heists, heists of the century. Great. It sounds like you just you need the capital contribution. To make yeah, some if, of these things happen. If people believe in us and, and trust us and want to support us and uh, know that we'll be good stewards of their capital and look at our track record and look what we've done and look at who we have on board here and, and, and what we are capable of. And if they want to support us and invest in us for our future, I think it's a very good bet to make, not just for the existing, uh, existing body of work, but also for what we have planned for the future. One of the things that we're tr- that we're focused on as an organization is stability. We want to have stability of leadership, stability of manpower, stability of productivity, and not jump and become, oh, we, you know, happy, clappy rabbis just trying to do things to attract and do programs that are not substantive. We want substantive, quality, creative programs to be consistent so that people can rely on us, people can know that we're always here for them. Wonderful. Yeah, and, and the Torchwood community, is the sky's the limit. We're in our infancy. So we have a shul. The structure exists. It looks nice, but it's pretty bare bones. There's 
basically nothing inside. We've got a few uh, plastic tables and some chairs and the, the most basic of infrastructure, but we we're ready to expand. And especially for this vision that we're trying to create where we want people to feel comfortable. We want to create a, a culture and environment where people are going to walk in there and think, wow, I want this to be my place. And uh, we need funding for that. So that's, that's in the plans for this year. We, we need to expand. We need to make this community uh, an attractive, warm, and loving place for people to come and, and make their home. It is already very attractive, and I recommend that people check out Torchwood, the Torchwood website, torchwoodtexas.org. That's it. Great. Rabbis, before the portfolio management team goes back to talk with one another and then finally come back with their recommendation, is there anything else you would like to add? Because I do know, as we're talking to potential donors, that the annual fundraiser, I assume, is around, around the, corner. the corner. Would you like to speak to that at all? Yeah. I, look, it, we used to do an annual dinner every year, and you guys as investors would appreciate this. A dinner takes many, many months of preparation. It costs a lot of money for food. So while it's a nice way for people to get together, it was not cost-effective. We started this joining this online platform of people donating and matching funds with our bigger givers and realized that the expenditure is significantly, infinitesimally smaller. So where we would have about 30, maybe 40% of our fundraiser would be going to the expense of putting together videos and putting together and, and paying for the food and for the location. Instead, our expense is less than 1%, from 40% to 1%. And it's all benefit to the Jewish people who learn Torah with us. So instead of money going out to paying people to running programs and, 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 and running this big dinner event, we can utilize that for resources to teach Torah. Great. Rabbis, I appreciate you taking the time to go through this due diligence session with the analyst here at YDH Investment Management. The team has told me that after taking you through this litany of questions and really demonstrating for us and the listeners what this organization has accomplished and continuing to accomplish daily and growing, that we'll leave the rating up to those listening, our donors, our potential donors. And I'll let you decide when the time comes to leave this world and you're standing in Shemayim in front of your creator, your father, your king. And if you're potentially like me, where your merits are sort of not really offsetting your frailties as a human being, and you're wanting to make sure that the merit that's being done through the organizations you support with your sadaka are there to lift the scales in your favor, that you'll come to the conclusion, as I personally have, that torch is a very strong buy and a great use of your sadaka dollars. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.